The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. And welcome back to Brutal Nation for our Tuesday episode. You notice that I quit doing the, this podcast is dedicated to blah, blah, blah. Because people, if, you, if you're this far into our podcast, you already know what we're all about. Yeah, you know that we're dedicated to lesser known serial killers and some acts of true crime. And, and porn. And Scott's stupidity. And just not my German, awesomeness. Just not German porn because that's gross. Fucking Germans. Okay, well, who are you again? Who, me? Yeah. You didn't introduce yourself, dickhead. Uh, oh, yeah. Huh? <laughs> That's what I'm getting at. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, you got me this time. Okay. Yeah. I'm Scott Alexander right across from me. He's all one. The only, the awfully fucking mouthy today. I am kind of mouthy. Tammy Underwood. Say hi, Tam. Hi, everybody. All right. So you gave me two of them that I've never, ever, ever, ever heard of. Burke and Hare. Mm-hmm. It's a Harry Burke. <laughs> I have a hair on my Burke. And their first names are both William. Dick Burks and Dick Hare. No, that's Richard Dickhead. Oh, never mind. It's Bill Burke and Bill Hare. Or William and, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Or Billy. God Billy Burke. Is Billy Burke. Oh, he's an actor from Twilight. He's a dad. So is Mr. Burke, the character that I have for Jethro and Jolene, Jethro's neighbor. His name's Billy? Yeah, Billy Burke. You know, that makes sense, because you call everybody fucking Billy. Billy is a great name, man. Yeah, I think it's because you love your cousin so much. I do. He's pretty fucking cool. Okay. Anyway. Let's just shoot this one out so we yeah. can get to my episodes. Yeah. So, similar to the case of Gwendolyn Graham and Kathy Wood, this case could have been featured on a Medical Monday, I believe. Um, however, since two people were involved, I chose to feature it on Twisted Tuesday. But before I get to the heart of the presentation, I want to give you a brief backstory on the history of that area. There's th- and by the way, this is going to be a two-parter. I already know that. I didn't, didn't got a year and a all that shit. Huh? When did this happen? I'm getting to that. Why well, haven't you gotten to it yet? Because you're talking. Why am I talking? I don't know. Okay, continue. There's no denying that. I don't want to interrupt. Comes to fun- shut up. Functions of the human body. The curiosity of scientists has led to numerous medical advancements. In the field, uh, numerous advancements in the field of medicine. There we go. It can be said that when it comes to the field of medical research, the journey taken to this point has been rather noble for the most part, to some extent. However, you'll understand what I mean when I talk about a brief detour it took in Great Britain during the 19th century. There you go, buddy. You know what concerns me about medical advancements? We've spent a lot more time trying to figure out how guys can grow hair and get hard-ons than we have trying to cure cancer. Like, for real. We can give a man a hard-on. Doesn't you can, I'm 155 years old. My dick hasn't worked in 70 years. Take this pill. Oh, it's amazing. That's an episode for the new podcast we're developing, that Twisted Blue's developing, because conspiracy <laughs> theories, because I have a theory that there is a cure for cancer out there, but they don't want to give it to us. Because they want the money the pharmaceuticals get. Don't even get me started on that. I fucking hate pharmaceutical companies. (laughs) That's why I do a lot of herbs. Big Pharma is a bitch. So during the early years of the 1800s, Great Britain began to experiment an influx of sorts. Colleges catering to students studying medicine saw that they were having an increase in their enrollments. More and more people wanted to receive training in anatomical sciences. It didn't take long for these schools to fill their enrollment to full capacity. 
Normally, this wouldn't be a problem because most of the classes taught at university level are held in various lecture halls around the campus. However, when it comes to the anatomy classes, every medical student was required to take, they needed more than just books. Each class was required to have a corpse on hand, not just for the lecture, but for demonstration. Ah, Walmart, they carry everything, man. Them and, them and Amazon. They probably can order it from Amazon. Wish. <laughs> you could probably get a corpse from Wish. No, that is fucking true. I've seen some things on Dude, Wish. Dude, remember that half body? Like yes. that female body that was just like the torso? It's just the torso. That was fucking weird. Yeah. No, I, you're weird. probably right. If you search hard that enough on Wish. That would be a deviant sexual toy. Sex toy. Um, no, it's not. It's um, normal to have... Those things. You have in- sex with people who have no head, no arms, and no legs. Continue on. <laughs> I have. I wish. I have to plead the fifth on the grounds it might incriminate me. <laughs> um, one would think, especially during that era, that dead bodies wouldn't have been an, in short supply. You know, because people die all the time back then. Right. Um, however, during this same period, Britain had other laws that came into play that limited the availability of cadavers for instructional purposes. These laws specifically limited the use of cadavers in the medical education institutes. Due to the prevailing religious beliefs and superstitions during the early 19th century, and I will say this happened in Scotland, and the Scottish and Irish are very superstitious. Yeah. To well, this day. No, they, they, that, yeah. actually, they that's have true. the cairns, they have everything. I mean, they're very superstitious. Cut the forget about Nessie, which is my favorite thing to say with that Scottish I knew accent. you were going on to the be lock. excited about this episode. That's right. Continue on, Miss Tammy. Yeah, I'm listening. Well, there's going to be some fucking names in here that I'm not going to want to say. One has to be Angus. We always have an Angus. I don't know if there is. But anyways. I'm looking for Nessie right now. Continue on while I look for Nessie. Nessie! That's funny because I was telling you about that episode of Laverne and... I mean, of... I Love Lucy. I Love Lucy when she, you know, had that dream about going back to Scotland. And the relative she was looking for was named Angus McGillicuddy. There's always an Angus. Like, (laughs) if you go to Scotland especially, you can stand on any street. You can stand in a field with no one around and go, Angus! You hear like 50 people go, go... Right here. I, <laughs> what you want? Are we playing golf? <laughs> That's like saying down in Georgia, saying "Go dogs," and everybody going "woo." Yeah, pretty I've much. Yeah, Georgia, Georgia Bulldogs. <laughs> yeah. So, um, let's see here. During this, okay, medical school schools were not allowed to demonstrate on the remains of the average citizen, mainly because religion in that country dictated that disturbing a person's deceased body in any way was unthinkable. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, therefore, the only cadavers available for instructional purposes were those of criminals that had been executed. Because, you know, like, who gives a shit about a yeah, criminal? Yeah, fair enough. Okay. Yeah. So this fact alone prompted a guy, and this is one name I'm not going to want to say, by the name of William Ruffhead. Ruffhead? Really? R-O-U-G-H-E-A-D. Ruffhead. I did his sister. <laughs> Pretty sure. She gave you some rough head. Her name is Wilhelmina Roughhead. <laughs> was it his twin, William and Wilhelmina? Well, she had a jagged tooth and I need some stitches. Now I have Frankenpecker. Every Halloween I put little bolts on the side. 
and put a little wig on top of him, and he chases the kids around going, Mraw. You need to go into our drive and pull up this. I'm done. I can't even say anymore. He's afraid of fire, pitchforks, and villagers. I hate you. <laughs> Continue on with your rough yeah. head. Um, so anyways, he wrote, <laughs> and I'm quoting here, the number of executions was wholly inadequate to meet the growing needs. The surgeons and barbers' apprentices had been in use diligently to till the soil and reap the harvest of what has been finally called death's mailing. Now he was referring to the Did practice. Did you say barber assistants? Yeah, Sweeney Todd. They practice on dead bodies? Barbers were dentists back then, remember? Barbers were dentists? Sweeney Todd, hello. It wasn't a dentist, it was just a barber, I thought. Yeah, but he also worked on their mouths. Not really? I think. I don't know. It just said Barber's Apprentices. That's what the article said. That's what this guy wrote. Uh, no, I'll take your word for it. I just can't. Yeah. Th- I think a barber would just be like, hey, Fred, come on over. I need to practice some shit. You know? See, and- I'd be afraid to get a straight razor shave from a real barber. I'm not. You're not afraid they're going to slice your fucking throat. Yeah, been- I heard it's very relaxing. It's, uh, it's been a good run. If I die, I die. Yeah, well. So um, he was referring to the practice of grave robbing. The occasional practice, this occasional practice was soon sought after by the underbelly of society who viewed it as an occupational opportunity. Some who engaged in this line of work soon became very proficient at the process. Another author, author by the name of, this one's a good one, Hugh Douglas, I don't have to worry about you, wrote about the proficient way some grave robbers perform their duties. He said, grave robbers could open a grave, remove a body, and restore the soil between patrols of the night watch. Damn, they're quick. Uh, yeah. Relatives of the subject could mourn by the grave the following day, unaware that their loved one was no longer buried there and greasing some anatomy slabs in Edinburgh. You know, it got to a point where they were actually putting metal cages over the graves so grave robbers couldn't get to them. Well, they also did that because they were afraid of people coming back to life as zombies and shit, too. Ringing the bell. Yeah. Um, university doctors, as well as their assistants, often received deliveries of cadavers. Now, each shipment meant that someone had to accept the delivery. The doctor or assistant would open the door to find someone who had been authorized by the Justice Department to transport the remains. They had to be authorized, okay, from the criminals. If the delivery wasn't from an authorized transporter, the person receiving the cadaver assumed it had recently been exhumed by a grave robber However, they never said anything because they needed cadavers. Don't ask, don't tell, motherfucker. Students were eager to learn and who were paying, and these students were actually paying to be taught hands-on demonstration. So they were paying, they needed that money. So now that I have shared a little bit of history, I'm sure you have an idea about the two Williams we're up to. Neither Burke nor Hare were authorized to transport the remains of condemned prisoners. They weren't in the grave robbing business either. They figured out how to, shall we say, cut out the middleman. It was more like a death to table instead of farm to table type of situation. Oh, they're like farmers. No, I'm digging that. Yeah. That's a good idea. They cut out the grave part. That was the middleman. There you go, man. There's a lot of assholes and scumbags out there. I'm just saying, just thinning the herd. I like them. Yeah. So after the two men were apprehended, Burke actually gave the authorities a confession And in that, he gave the detectives a little information about his background. 
1928, he was 36 years old, which put his birthday somewhere in, 19, in 1792. Okay? How can he be in 1792 if we're talking the 1920s? 1828, I said. Gotcha. I thought you said 1928. No. Okay. In 1828, I said 19th century. I thought you said, never mind. Okay. Continue. Okay. He was 36 With years your rough old. head. Which put his birthday around 1792. He was born in Ireland in the county of Tyrone and the parish of Ori. Okay, nothing? Okay, good. I'm going on. I'm afraid. When Burke was old enough, I, you notice how I hesitated when I started that? See, and I love doing that periodically where I just look at you and just grid because I can see that time bomb going off in no, your head. No, because what I'm thinking is I'm going to start the next sentence and he's going to interrupt me with a stupid ass joke. <laughs> yeah, probably. So that's why I hesitated when I started that sentence. Uh, he served in the Army. <laughs> he remained in service for a total of seven years, and the majority of that time he was an officer's servant in the Donegal Militia. While he was in the army, he married a woman at Bellinha, located in the county of Mayo, and together they had two children. Okay. Cool. However, when he left Scotland, his family remained in Ireland. He claimed that he wrote letters to his wife often, but she never but he never received a response from her. What a bitch. Yeah. Shame so, on you, ma'am. Shame on you. Shut up. He originally actually relocated to Scotland so he could work on at the on the grand on the Union Canal. They were doing the canal building and he you know they were looking for workers. And they were looking for Nessie. She may be in close to the canal. Union Canal. You never know with Nessie. She's everywhere. She's watching you like Santa Claus. He remained working there while the position lasted. Then he lived in Peebles for approximately two years. And while he was living there, he got a job working as a laborer. After that, he worked as a weaver for about 18 months. When he left that, he worked as a baker for five months. And then he moved to Leith. His roommate taught him how to cobble shoes. So he, like, you know, had a lot of shit under his belt. Man, he's a jack of yeah. all trades. I, well, I actually like him. When they said baker, I was actually thinking of Sweeney Todd, because remember his accomplice was, was the, the baker. baker downstairs. Yeah. This is Burke, pies, right? We're talking, about, we're talking about Burke, right? Yeah. Okay, no, I like him. The yeah. dude's out there, he's working, he's busting his hump. Yeah, trying to get money. Yeah, he's, he, he's working hard, man. Yeah. I, fucking, I totally. like him. So while he was working on the canal, he took up lodging at a place known as Madison. It was there that he met a woman by the name of Helen McDougall. McDougall was a Scottish native with her own history. When Burke and McDougall met, she and her legal husband had officially separated, but they were still married. After the separation, dude, she moved in with another man who was also the father of her two children. Oh, baby daddy. Yeah. It happens all the time in Scotland. Yeah. Here, too. After Burke's work... On the canal was complete, he left Madison, obviously. McDougal made the decision to leave her two children there, and she went with him. Okay? You little brat, you stay behind. I'm no leaving shit. you here. And you're staying with your father. You're staying with your father. You go, All of your lot, you can go look for Nessie yourself. I'm out of here. Adios, bitch nachos. 
<laughs> she said that back then. That, that's exactly what she said. She said adios, bitch nachos. Yeah. So the two of them were together in Peebles and Leith before they ended up in Edinburgh. And along the way, while he worked his odd job, she would actually work on farms, men's shoes, and sell old clothing items to help with expenses. You know what? I like her, too. Mm-hmm. She's working it, man. She's not, like, sitting there looking at fucking Burke and going, Oi, you need to go out there and make the money. She's like, no, man, motherfucker, I'm going to go out here and I'll try to make money, too. We'll make ends meet. Let's work this together. Yeah. I respect that. Yeah. So William here, we're going to talk about him now, was also originally from Ireland. When he decided to travel to Scotland in order to, he worked on the canal as well. However, there is actually nothing to indicate that he and Burke met or had any contact during that time. Hmm. Um, when his work on the canal was complete, he traveled straight to Edinburgh. Upon arriving there, he found an inexpensive room to rent in the Westport area. The boarding house was owned by a man named Logue, and it and he ran it with his Irish wife, Margaret. That's the problem right there. You can't trust the Irish coming over here, That's taking William our jobs. And, William and Harry Burke were Irish. Yeah. Oh, wait, they were killers, so we can't trust them anyway. I don't trust them anyway. Mm-hmm. Freaking Irish. You know, my, my special someone, she's Irish. Don't trust her either. Fucking Irish people. Coming over here, being all Irish. Damn them. What's that look for? I would like to continue. No, this is why. This is why. Why can't you trust? Oh, I can't trust her either. But I don't know why you can't trust her. If I make a joke and I say the same thing about any other ethnicity, you'll sit there, oh my God, you're racist. Ah." But I can say anything I want about white people and Irish people and nobody says shit. No, I've kind of learned just to ignore you now. Continue on, Miss Tummy. Thank you. Is it? <laughs> Where is you? <laughs> Where are you at, girl? <laughs> so dumb. I got your food right here. <laughs> so anyhow. Under my kilt. <laughs> Go on. I no, can't. I'm good. No, I can't. <laughs> so anyways. Logue passed away in 1826. When he died, Hare stepped in to comfort Margaret. It wasn't long before the two of them were shacked up together in a common law marriage. Oh, 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 I I missed something. How? Go back. Hare did what? He comforted Margaret after her husband died. Logue and Margaret were married and they ran the boarding house together. Okay. okay. So her husband died. So he stepped in and like took over. Okay. Cool. Yeah. yeah, I I kind of, I I missed her name. That's why I was sitting there going, does she work on the canal too? Like, is she a hard working woman? What the fuck? No. So, you know, like I said, he comforted her. They shacked up and they were common law married. Okay. No, that works. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. My dad and my mom were common law married. Honestly, I I can't falter for that. I mean, Mm -hmm. you need that support and you want some love, you know, you need somebody to kind of give you some comfort now that your husband's dead and help you out. I totally respect that. No, oh, we're yeah. good. We're good. And she was running a boarding house. Yeah. You know, so when that happened, they actually took over the boarding house, kept it operating as a legally married couple. Um, I actually found documentation that she went by the last name Hare. So until Burke, Hare never provided any back, unlike Burke, he never provided any background information. However, there's an article written in the 1829 issue. I'm not going to want to say this. Blackwood's magazine that described him and the author of that article wrote. Why it got to be Blackwood's? That's what he wrote. Why can't be Whitewood's? No. We look at the woods all messed up and shit. Continue on, white woman. You know, at least you didn't go where I thought you were going to go. Oh, where was I supposed to go? I'm not going to say. So Hare was it 
and this is what the article wrote. Hair is the most brutal man ever subjected to my sight. And at first look, seemingly an idiot. His face, when he laughed, which he did often, collapsed into a hollow, shooting up ghastly from chin to cheekbone, all steep in sullenness and squalor native, which is a cast out from mainstream society. So he looked like a hoodlum. He looked like the Joker is what it sounds yeah. like. To the almost deformed face of a leering miscreant, so utterly loathsome was the whole look of a reptile. That's what this guy wrote about him. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Ain't no love there. God damn. And to the left, you'll see the lizard boy. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have to remember. Okay, I'll get into it. This was a year after they were arrested, so I kind of get it. Um, so then shortly after arriving in Edinburgh, Burke and McDougal found a place to live in the Westport area. And one day by sheer accident, the two of them met Margaret after engaging in conversation with a friendly couple. She invited them to go back to the boarding house because she wanted to introduce them to hair. Okay. Yeah. So not long after that initial chance encounter, Burke and McDougal actually began renting a room at the Harris boarding house. So when they were all living together, nobody actually would ever say that Burke and Hare were friends. The two spent the majority of the time they happened to be in close proximity to each other arguing. Okay? No. Yeah. So despite all the bickering and the occasional heated quarrel, the two men could agree on two things. That they're both Irish. No. The first thing they agreed about was how much they both enjoy drinking whiskey. Yeah, no, they're Irish. Yeah. Irish are all drunk. They're born oh, yeah. drunk. yeah, Irish whiskey is the best whiskey. And I, I, Irish are born drunk. Like, they don't get bottles of milk. They get well, bottles of Well, the Scots whiskey. are known for their scotch. They're yeah, really there you go. Shit. Fucking alcoholics. <laughs> so were we, so shut the fuck up. <laughs> no, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for outing us. I appreciate yeah. that. Well, one. no, we've talked about it before. Why do I afraid of nothing but running out of wine? <laughs> that is a fucking fact. So the second thing they could agree on was they would do anything they could to make a fast buck. Okay. So sometime in November of 1827, the Hares had a lodger by the name of Donald. He was an His old... His last name was Duck. <laughs> didn't say. Oh. He was an older man who was living off his army pension. Now, that November, he became so sick, he took to his bed and wound up dying. Okay. When Donald passed away, Hare was angry. Not because he didn't care about the fact that Donald died in his boarding house. Didn't give a shit. His anger was because the man died still owing him four fucking dollars, four pounds. No, hey, I, I, I feel your pain, man. Motherfucker has a well, and four dollars back died. then was a fucking fortune. Yeah, dude dies before he pays you. What a cheap ass motherfucker. Yeah, fucking inconsiderate bastard. That's right, man. And if you owe me money, make sure you pay me before you die. Just saying. At your grave. I was going to say, I fucking give out money and don't expect it back. (laughs) Seriously, I don't. No, I don't. Anyway, go ahead. So he went and called the authorities to have them come over and remove his Donald's body from the premises, obviously. So by the time he hung up the phone, I say hung up the phone, probably didn't have a phone, but he had an idea about how to recoup the money that Donald still owed him. By the time he hung up the carrier pigeon? However, shut up, to blow it off the smoke signals, he would need Burke's help. Burke went upstairs with Hare, and the two of them removed Donald's body from the coffin it would be hauled away in. They then carried the corpse out of the room and kept it hidden. And after that, they went outside, gathered a bunch of tree bark, took that back to the room, and put it in the coffin until it weighed 
what it would weigh if it had human remains in it. Then they sealed the coffin back up. Yeah, they thought it through. Yeah. That's cool. Well, I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah, you can't give them an empty coffin. They'd be like, hey, this feels a little light. Get out there and earn my money. I mean, put a body in here. Yeah, that's what it was. They weren't pimping them out or anything. So when law enforcement officials hauled the coffin away, Burke and Hare left in an effort to locate a guy by the name of Professor Monroe. He was a local anatomy instructor. They didn't know exactly where Monroe's office was located, so they asked for directions. The person giving them directions wound up sending them to see Professor Robert Knox instead. Upon arriving at the classrooms, Knox wasn't available. So the two men spoke to one of the professor's assistants. The assistant informed them that they would be very interested in the body and told them to come back with it after dark. Yeah, works. So after nightfall, Burke and Hare returned to Professor Knox's classroom carrying a large sack. And were greeted by his doorman. <laughs> I know that feeling too. Carrying around a large sack. The doorman <laughs> called over the assistants and they examined the body. When they were finished, they offered to give the two men seven pounds for the mer- for the merchandise. That's what they called it. There you go. He comes out ahead. Yeah. Fuck yeah. No shit, yo. But he did have to split that. So he only got three fifty. So it was only 50 cents short. But still. Okay. Yeah, 50 still. shillings. Um, Burke and Hare didn't hesitate to accept the morning money before they left. Um, on the way back to the boarding house, they didn't argue at all. Instead, they had a serious discussion about how little effort they put into making such an incredible amount of money. Um, hang on. They were smart. Supply and demand. They would have upped that to 10 bucks. Like seriously. 10 pounds? 10 10 pounds. Supply and demand, man. The concept of selling dead bodies to medical school professors obviously had some great advantages. So during the conversation, the two men came to a conclusion, and they didn't even bother to consult a med. Oh, wait, no. Not long after that, another one of the boarding house tenants, a man known as Joseph the Miller, because he was a Miller, he became ill. Now, Joseph's rent was actually current. Okay, Okay, cool. And he wasn't even as sick as Donald was when he died. However, when Burke and Hare found out the man was in bed, they sat down to discuss their options. During the conversation, they came to a conclusion without even consulting a medical professional. They decided that Joseph was pretty much dead already and that he most likely was suffering. So, therefore, they would be doing the right thing if they hurried the process along. But nice guys, man. They don't want this dude to suffer. Yeah, then he wouldn't be miserable anymore. Uh, it touches my heart right here. Just right here. <laughs> That's it. Well, very touched by their, anyways, by, by their, that their evening, kindness. That evening, under the guise of sympathy, Burke and Hare kept pouring jo- Joseph shots of whiskey. Drams is what they called them. But they told him they were doing it. Hang on, I have my caps lock on. Um, hang on, fuck. Sometimes. They told him they were doing it in an effort to ease his discomfort. No matter the reason, Joseph was happy to empty every shot the two placed in front of him until he passed out. Yeah, works. Okay. Yeah. Once Joseph was out cold, one of the guys held the man's mouth and nose closed, you know, so that he couldn't breathe. Like you want to do to me half the time. Yeah, but I need a partner to complete this next part. Jake, no. In the meantime, the other one laid himself on top of the unconscious man, and his arms against his and pinned his arms against his side, 
so that he wouldn't be able to struggle. I know. I would love him to lay on you while I fucking suffocate you. He didn't have a chance, and his body was soon sold. Oh, wait. Oh, I skipped a whole paragraph. Um, so he pinned his body against his chin so he wouldn't be able to struggle. Joseph didn't even have a chance, and his body was soon sold to Knox in his anatomy class. Oh, okay. Cool. On this occasion, Burke and Hare noticed how pleased Knox's assistants were with the condition of the body because it was practically pristine. Mm-hmm. Okay. They walked away feeling as if they had pulled off the perfect murder when they killed Joseph. To look at his corpse, one could assume he had died as a result of sickness or drinking. Yeah, okay? totally. Not a mark was on the body, which would have indicated foul play was involved. And he's already embalmed because he drinks so much goddamn booze. Yeah. He's well, pickled. I, well, they didn't embalm back then, but yeah. He's pickled. Well, my whole thing is, and I think I get into this in the next episode, but the way they dispatched their victims would soon be called burking. And other people kind of adopted that later. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I think I get into that in the next episode. But from that point forward, Burke and Hare had a new, easy way to make a quick buck. However, as luck would have it, none of their tenants at the boarding house became sick again for the time being. If they wanted to keep making the money professors were paying for cadavers, they had to find another way to acquire merchandise to turn over. That's when they decided... They had to take their efforts to the streets of Edinburgh. They managed to continue making frequent trips to Dr. Knox over an 11-month period. Okay. Sometime in February 1928, a lady by the name of Abigail Simpson arrived in Edinburgh so that she could collect on her pension. When she had her shillings tucked inside her pocket, she began to head for home. Along the way, and she was walking, Along the way, she ran into Hare, and the two engaged in a brief conversation. Didn't think she was on a skateboard. Shut up. I was thinking wagon, but she was walking, so fuck you. She's Is there any coffee left? Maybe. I don't know. Can, can you pour me a little, or did you want it? I'm Okay, <coughs> I'm just asking, because I like really need coffee. Thank you. So wait a minute. Was it a red flyer wagon? Radio flyer? I was going to say radio flyer, but no, bitch. Like I used to have a radio one? flyer, and then when I got older, I bought an antique one and used it as a flower bed. Oh, cool. Drilled some holes in the bottom. I had one. I generally put midgets in it and haul them around, get them back to the house. Is they that how it. you transported your ex-wife number four? That's exactly how we went on our honeymoon. Then she went, wee! <laughs> and you push her down a hill. <laughs> have her hold on to the handle and say, break, bitch, break! Stick your foot out. It's amazing when you Flintstone see those, that shit. When you see those stubby little arms like flapping in the wind, it doesn't really stop them very. It's not effective. Like they don't fly or anything. You would think they'd have magical powers, but no, they do not. They're like a great dodo bird. That's okay. Thank you, intern. Yeah, they're, they're like a giant dodo. They don't fly very very well with those big heads and little stubby ass arms. Like a penguin. Yeah, kind of like a penguin. And I ate that one. So there you go. So you know what a penguin tastes like. No, I know what a midget tastes like. <laughs> oh my God, we're so done. I am so fucking done. Midgets roasting on an open fire. <laughs> Clown cars honking like my nose. It's not like chestnuts roasting on a set of chestnuts. <laughs> I got it. Yeah, got that one. Got yeah. that one. Yeah, we're groovy. Like a drive-in movie. Yeah, whatever. The 80s called. They want their fucking freeze back. <laughs> um, let's see. 
So when they were done talking, he invited her to join him at the boarding house. He promised her that she could get a dram or glass of whiskey and have a nice rest before she set out on her long journey home. Okay. Um, she agreed and the two walked back to Hare's place together. Okay. Soon after they arrived, Burke, Helen, and Margaret all came in and they drank well into the evening hours. Since it was dark and the weather become rather cold because it's February, um, it didn't take very much to convince Abigail she should stay there for the night. After all, it would be better and safer if she waited until daylight to walk all that way. The whole night, Burke and Hare were making alternate plans for their guest. The problem with their plan is that they themselves had also gotten rather drunk from all the whiskey. And so when Abigail finally made her way to the room she would be sleeping in, they had already fallen asleep. Um, however, when she woke up in the morning, she had a nasty hangover. Burke and Hare offered her a little hair of the dog, which we all know is the best remedy. Oh, yeah. Which, by the way, that just gets you a little more drunker so you feel better. It doesn't fucking cure anything. <laughs> to which she accepted. They kept pouring the old lady some more shots until she was so wasted she passed out on the bed again. Um, she was so drunk that when Burke and Hare went through their process of burking her to smother her, she didn't even struggle one little bit. Uh, the two men had their corpse packed nicely in an empty tea chest, and they headed over to Knox's classroom later that evening. On this visit, Burke and Hare actually got to meet Knox in person when he came out to inspect the delivery because they all had to be inspected because they couldn't have a like rotting cadaver. During this process, Knox actually paused a couple of times so that he could comment about how fresh this particular cadaver was. That's not like my cadaver. Yeah. Nice and fresh. Again, I cannot go on. That's How why he's up black bags. He. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I still can't. He didn't bother to ask Burke and Hare what the reason was for this freshness, though. What he did was pay the guy 10 pounds for the exquisite specimen they had brought to him. You always have that like little intuition, don't you? I try. I, try. I know, because it's like when you said that, I'm like, motherfucker. <laughs> Anyways, make no mistake, Burke and Hare wanted to earn a quick buck. They never had any intention of saving a quick buck. Both couples enjoyed spending the money the men brought in. However, or as a matter of fact, the thing they liked to spend their newfound wealth on was liquor and lots of it. I want to open up my own place. Because that liquor in the front, poker in the rear. You'd be a casino. You okay over there? <laughs> you gonna make it? No. <laughs> I think I need to leave. Like, leave the fucking premises. <laughs> As luck would have it, not long after the death of Abigail, another... Oh, wait. Burke and Hare were barely able to deliver their pristine cadavers to Knox before one of the foursome went and bought some alcohol for them to enjoy. Therefore, they barely had time to enjoy their new bounty before it slipped right through their fingers. That just made their, them eager to go looking for another individual they could eventually take over to Knox's classrooms. Um, as luck would have it, not long after Abigail died, another tenant became sick. This guy was an Englishman known around for selling matches. Really? Yeah. Okay. 
I didn't know that was a thing, like ever. I like, think seriously. back then it was. Well, do you, don't you remember the story about the girl in the candlestick who tried to remain warm and she had to buy some matches from somebody and they found her like frozen to death with the candle snuffed out beside her because it had burned down and she couldn't stay warm anymore? No. Oh. Whatever, dude. Read some fucking literature. That doesn't even fucking sound familiar to me. It's a story they tell at Christmas a lot. I mean, we got to buy matches if we want matches anyway, but I didn't think you had to go find like the, a roaming. Well, we weren't born in the fucking 18th and 19th century either. But they still had like general stores and markets and shit. You can go down there, you know, get your produce, get your fresh lamb or whatever. Hey, I'm the read fucking Read it. Matchstick. Read all about it. <laughs> I'm the matchstick guy. Cool. Give me like a dozen matchsticks so I can light my candle or whatever the fuck they do with it, a like heroin spoon or whatever. Anywho, <laughs> in much the same way, you don't use a match for that. You use a lighter, but that's not my point. <laughs> or a torch. In in much the same way, they had Joseph, Birkenhair, plied him with alcohol in order to alleviate his symptoms. After they passed out, they put the match salesman out of his misery and took the merchandise to town. See, they're just trying so he doesn't, he won't be miserable. He won't be, you know, sick anymore. And uh, no, I, you know, sympathetic. Sometimes yeah. when I leave here, I think I'm going to start going to like downtown Vancouver or Portland and say, "Well, somebody please burke me. <laughs> I want to be put out of my misery and I want to be drunk when you do it." They're like, "How much do you charge for that?" <laughs> yeah, whatever. I think that would take on a whole new meeting today. What burking? Yeah, kind of like pegging. They'd be like, "Are you talking about pegging or are you talking about bagpiping?" Well, when, remember what I was telling you? I pegged my jeans. That's when you kind of fold them over and roll them up. Uh-huh, and you're that's like, what um, that's a scary thought. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not talking about that. Hey, look, you're practicing. We all know. I saw the holes. I hate you. Um, let's see. After Burke and Hare were apprehended, they actually gave sworn statements claiming that Margaret and Helen were completely unaware of their business ventures. However, there's one particular merchandise acquisition that causes people to question the validity of the men's statements. On that occasion, Margaret was walking around Edinburgh when she had an encounter with an older woman. Margaret managed to convince that woman to go back to the boarding house with her. When they arrived at the house, Margaret started pouring the whiskey. Okay? They just like getting drunk, man. They like a little party party. Uh, well, when she thought she had plied her guests with enough alcohol, she told the woman she told the woman she had better lie down for a bit. The old woman wasn't having any of that. She declined the younger woman's offer and asked for another pour. The scenario repeated itself two more times before the lady finally went to bed. She just wanted her fucking liquor. Damn right, man. A little party party. Yeah, dude. So after Margaret made sure the woman was sound asleep, she immediately sent someone to find her husband. So, you know, she wasn't just drinking. She wanted the bitch to pass out. (laughs) And she wanted her husband and Burke to come back. Nothing more is known about what happened that evening until the two men arrived at Knox's office after dark to deliver some new merchandise. Now, on April 9th, 1828, sorry, Two 18-year-old prostitutes from Westport, a lady by the name of Mary Patterson and Janet Brown, decided to start their day at one of the local taverns. Ain't nothing like day drinking. So right after ordering their first round of whiskey, Burke arrived and struck up a conversation with them. Um, As you can imagine, he invited them back to the boarding house so that they could share breakfast. 
Mary was all for grabbing a warm meal. However, Janet, on the other hand, was hesitant. However, after a bit of coaxing, she gave in and they all went back to the house to enjoy breakfast and continue their day drinking. Mary fell asleep on her chair at the table. However, Janet still seemed to be going strong, so Burke asked her to go to another tavern with him. Okay? When the two arrived there, Janet continued to drink. Yet no matter how many shots Burke had poured her, she never seemed to get intoxicated. God dang, she's like the fucking... Dude, like, I can drink a shit ton of alcohol and like still be like, trooper, give me man. some more. I might slur a little bit, but I love me some booze. Yeah. And if you give me tequila, it's on. I will drink the whole fucking bottle. Um. Okay. Eventually, he took her back to the house where he poured more whiskey for her to drink. Suddenly, Helen walked into the room, you know, his girlfriend, and was angry that Janet, the prostitute, was there with her man. So Burke and Helen actually got into a heated argument with Helen screeching at him and Burke shouting at her. Mind you, Mary was sleeping at the table this whole time. She never fucking woke up. Finally, Burke had enough and he made Helen leave. The entire time, Mary didn't even open one fucking eye and say, what the fuck is going on here? She slept. (laughs) Which tells me she fucking passed the fuck out. So Janet, on the other hand, was visibly shaken. So she said she was going to just leave. Burke did everything he could to talk her into staying and drinking with him, but she refused to give in. She did tell him, though, that she would be happy to return once Helen was gone, especially since the other woman was still standing outside the door cussing and hollering at the top of her lungs. She's like, yeah. bitch, get the fuck away from my man. I can see why she you wouldn't want to hang whore. out. Yeah, I wouldn't want to hang out there either. I'd be like, um, I'll come back. Yeah. Why don't you put a leash on that chick? Yeah, tie her up. Tie her up and stake her out in the backyard Burker. something. Yeah, give her a little Birkin. (laughs) (laughs) And we're not talking about the clothing. (laughs) Burka. It's a Burka. When Janet left Burke, she stopped off at a lady, uh, Mrs. Laurie's boarding house. where, And that's where her and Mary had both rented a room in the past. Um, So the two friends sat down to talk, and Janet actually told her what had happened with Burke that morning. Mrs. Laurie actually expressed her concern for Mary. She's like, so she made Janet and one of her servants go get the intoxicated prostitute and bring her back to the house. Janet and the servant went back to Burke's, and when they arrived, the only people there were Hare, Margaret, and Helen. She was then informed that Burke and Mary had left to go somewhere, but they should be returning shortly. Janet didn't think she and the servant both had to wait, so she stayed there and told the servant to go back to Mrs. Laurie's. When the servant returned and explained what was going on, the older woman expressed concern again. She made the servant go back to Burke's to get Janet. So upon hearing what the servant had to say, Janet did go back to Mrs. Laurie's instead of remaining there. Little did she know that she had escaped Burke's evil intentions three times in one day because he wanted to kill her. Yeah, well, duh. Yeah, the same couldn't be said for Mary. As it turns out, when Burke and Hare murdered her, it was the riskiest murder they had committed up until that point, mainly because many of the students at Knox's classrooms recognized her immediately. Oh, After shit. all, they more than likely had employed her for their services. Because you got to remember, a lot of the medical students were men back then. Yeah. So... When the two men realized that their merchandise was so recognizable this time, they made a smart decision. They didn't even lie to explain how they had come across her corpse. They just kept their mouth shut, got the fuck out. 
Egypt. <laughs> However, Mary is also one of the more uh, memorable victims for another reason. Knox's doorman was the one to inspect the cadaver on arrival, and he found it to be in superb condition. It was one of the best specimens they had received, and a lot of the students actually sketched it. And I have a picture of one of the sketches where she's laying on her side, almost like the Venus de Milo, you know, right. like, you know, like in a very provocative, but we have to remember when we look at the picture, it was her corpse. Mm, yeah. And I also must say that a lot, all the pictures I got from back then, we either newspaper renditions or people's drawings because they didn't have cameras. Yeah. I'm just saying. So people don't like, like, why is she doing this? That's why. Um, <laughs> So some of those sketches are actually very valuable items in people's personal collections to this day. You know, I, I kind of want one. You do too, I'm sure. Not because of a naked body, but because it's a valuable historic fucking murder and naked memorabilia. I'm sure that has some of it to do with it, but you also want some of Gein's stuff. I mean, you want to start collecting fucking... I would pay top dollar for any of uh, Gein's f- furniture. Oh, me too. Without a problem. Mm-hmm. They can pretty much name their price. I believe you. That's why we need to go to Vegas. Um, Janet never stopped worrying about and looking for Mary. Every chance she had, she walked through the streets of Edinburgh asking people, asking everyone she saw if they knew what happened to her friend. And if they wanted a good time. Because she's a hooker. I got that. <laughs> I'm not fucking stupid. I was well, just looking at you point. to shut the fuck up. All right, no, continue on. All yeah. Right. It t- didn't take long for Burke and Hare to blow through the money they had received for the sale of Mary, but like always, they had already been on the lookout for more victims, which seemed to be readily available. Remember, Burke and Hare both had legitimate jobs. Um, selling cadavers was just their side hustle. So with his cobble work, Burke often purchased leather, from Effie, a local beggar woman. On one particular morning, she actually stopped by his place to see if he would buy some of the scraps she was selling. And Burke invited Effie in to take a look at what material she had, and the two eventually went to the stable. At the stables, Burke poured her quite a few shots, and Effie wound up laying down on the straw and falling asleep. Burke sent for hair, and that night they were divvying up the 10 pounds Knox paid them for the new merchandise. Um, since Burke and Hare had been able to deliver several shipments to Knox without drawing any real suspicion, with the exception of the close call they had with Mary, he started taking bolder risks. For instance, he was walking through the streets one morning when he came upon two police officers. The two were practically dragging a visibly intoxicated woman between them so they could get her to the drunk tank. He told the cops that he knew the woman personally and would make sure she made it home safely. They agreed to let him handle the woman. He and Hare did just that, and they split another 10 pounds. Um, In June of 1928, Burke thought he had found another victim. This one was an old man he came across in the streets, and it invited him back to the house for a drink. On the way to the boarding house, he actually ran into an old lady and a young boy who stopped them and asked for directions to their friend's house. Um, Burke decided to leave the old man on the streets 
as he told the old lady he would take them to her friend's house. And obviously the old man was pissed because he's not getting his food and liquor now. Yeah, no shit, man. I'd be pissed too. So as they were walking along, he asked her to stop at his place to rest for a bit, and she agreed. That's when she informed him that the boy with her was her deaf grandson, and she also told him that they were rather new to the area and weren't yet familiar with Edinburgh. So he's like, oh, nobody around here is going to miss him. You know? So when the three arrived at the boarding house, Margaret and Helen took the little boy into a different room to play. Then Burke sat down with the grandmother and began plying her with whiskey. You know, I kind of want to go get some whiskey. A little later, he and Hare added her name to their growing list of victims. And after she was dead, the two actually argued about what they were going to do with the boy. Okay? Since he was so young, they were sure he wouldn't drink any of the whiskey if they offered it to him. However, they didn't think they could just let him go because he might bring people back to the house to look for his grandmother. Okay? So while the two men were debating, the boy was getting agitated because he couldn't find his grandma. And remember, he's deaf. Mm -hmm. So he has no way to express it verbally, so he has to act out emotionally and physically. Right, because he's looking at him going... I used to do this thing when somebody wouldn't pay attention to me. I said, are you deaf? And then I'd fake sign language. i go, I am saying... And then now I don't do that anymore. You're You're so mean. You know, that's really mean to people who have an obvious disability. You should be ashamed of yourself. But people like you, who I know can fucking hear me. What? Who don't listen to me. Huh? Need to be fucking treated like shit to listen to me. I'm sorry, I wasn't listening. What? Exactly my point. <laughs> Jazz hands. Don't you hear me? <laughs> <laughs> I fucking hate you. Burke finally got tired of the debate and the child's agitation, and this part fucking pisses me off. He snatched the boy up and quickly dropped the child down on his knee, breaking his back and killing him. Ah, see, now that's fucked he up. He, like, freaking WWF'd him. That's fucked up right there. Yeah. However, in his confession later, he stated that he had smothered the boy to death. Either way, the two men shoved both bodies into one of their old herring barrels, and that night, Knox actually only paid them $8 per cadaver. Probably because the woman was so old and the boy was obviously had broken bones. Yeah, that's fucked up. Yeah. That same month, Burke decided he needed a vacation. He took a brief hiatus from his legitimate job and the side hustle while he and Helen went to stay with some of their rel- some of her relatives. Right before they left, Burke claimed that Margaret said she felt Helen should be murdered, but he refused to comply. While Burke and Helen were away, he also found out that Hare had continued to sell merchandise for Tanox in his absence because they were supposed to do it together. Yeah, right, right. Okay. For those two reasons, when Burke and Helen returned to Edinburgh, they moved out of the boarding house. They decided it would be best if the two of them no longer resided under the same roof. However, um, oh, four of them, excuse me. They didn't move very far. Some reports I found indicated it was either right down the street or right around the corner. Okay. You know, not very far. Even though Burke and Hare were no longer living under the same roof, they still maintained partners in their side hustle. When Margaret and Hare welcomed the birth of their new baby, they had a celebration at the house. One of their guests was a lady by the name of Mrs. Osler. That was the last time anyone ever saw that woman again. Oh, shit. That was a shocker. Yeah. Then, actually, one of Helen's relatives, Anne McDougall, came to Edinburgh for a visit. While she was there, she chose to stay with Helen and Burke. That same night she arrived, she became a victim. 
However, Burke convinced Hare to carry out the bulk of the murder since he and Anne were distant friends. He couldn't bring himself to kill her himself. And then they split another 10 pounds that night. Hare selected the next victim. One day he was out walking the streets of Edinburgh when he came across Mary Haldane, an elderly prostitute from the area. He wound up inviting her back to his place to have a dram. Burke joined them as they were heading to the stable to drink. As soon as Mary fell asleep on the straw, the two men killed her. That was a shocker. Yeah, I know, right? Let's let's be honest. Nobody's shocked. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a little shocked at that. Mm, Yeah. A short time later, Peggy, Mary's daughter, stopped by because she was told that's where she could find her mom. Okay? Because people said, I saw her with hair. So Margaret and Helen were the ones who answered the door when Peggy arrived. And when she told them why she was there, the two women were adamant when they told her Mary, nor any other prostitute for that matter, was allowed in that boarding house. Oh, shit. Yeah. The three women were still in a heated argument when Hare walked up. He was able to calm everyone down when he said that Mary had been by earlier in the day, but she had already left. Okay. He then offered to pour Peggy a drink. Which she accepted. Are all Irish people alcoholics? I told you, man. They're born alcoholics. I'm like, I'm reading this and everybody's fucking drinking whiskey. You know, okay. So my my special someone was texting me earlier that she was hanging out with with her best friend because they share a house um, and her best friend's girlfriend and things like that. And that's what they were doing last night. They were getting drunk. And she said, I was going to have another drink, but I opted for bed instead. And I woke up. Yeah, with a little bit of a hangover. <laughs> I wonder why. Irish people, man. You're so dumb. Isn't he the one that infuses liquor, too, to yeah. make it really good? Yeah, yeah. You know, because you had some and didn't bring me back any, uh, knowing I love tequila. Bitch. Oh, I'm sorry. You're a bitch. I got to figure out what he infused. I know it was like star anise and something else. I'm going to figure out what he did, so I'm going to put that in some 1500 tequila. Or hernitos would work, too, but. What? I don't want to hear it because I know you probably won't share it with me. Because drunk Sasquatches are illegal in the state of Washington. But I drink and I don't really get drunk when I'm here. And then you go, and you scare the neighbors. But you like that. A little bit, yeah. Anyways, we're done. (laughs) Um... Okay, he continued pouring the whiskey until Burke returned, and they both took care of her as they had just done their, her mom. Mary Haldine was very well known around the, her Edinburgh neighborhood, so when the town realized she had vanished, they grew very suspicious, especially since she was last seen in the presence of Hare. However, when they were once again able to avoid being discovered, they took even bigger risks. Their next victim was almost their downfall. Oh, okay, okay. so I'm going to talk about this next victim, and then I'm done with part one. Um, during that time, Westport's most beloved citizen, hands down, was 18-year-old James Wilson. Everyone around the neighborhood called him Daft Jamie. <laughs> the local okay. children loved him because he would often take the time to tell them a joke or see if they could solve a riddle. Um, when kind-hearted citizens didn't offer Jamie a bed for the night. Um, he would just sleep on the streets or stay with his mother, who was a widow. The only possessions he owned that were of any value to him were his snuff box and his snuff spoon. 
Now, the spoon was unique because there were seven holes in it. Jamie used those seven holes as a calendar so he knew what day of the week it was. Okay? Okay, cool. Yeah. So when it comes to the events of that day in early October 1828, two versions can be found. One version claims that hair ran into Jamie uh, walking down the street looking for his mother. There he was just a walking down the street. Go ahead. <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> the other version says Margaret was the person who ran into him. Whichever individual it was, the fact remains, they told Jamie they knew exactly where his mother was and told him he could stay at the boarding house to wait for her. Keep in mind, Jamie was known to be a little slow, daft Jamie. So therefore, he was also probably very trusting because you and I both know that the mentally disabled or the slow people are very trusting individuals. No, that, that's very true. I mean, as much as I make fun of people and shit like that, I've talked about before that I've actually I've worked with you know yeah. the mentally disabled and they're very trusting and they're very they're very loving and caring people. Yeah. It's, well, we have know, a and strong as fuck. I want to put that oh my out God, there. Yes. Don't piss off somebody with Down syndrome because they oh. have what I call super retard strength, and they will. Fuck, I don't care if you're built like Dwayne the Rock Johnson. They'll kick your ass. They will throw you. Yeah. You get your yeah. ass beat, and then well, you're gonna be embarrassed. <laughs> Well, and we have a guy who works at one of the grocery stores in my town who, and I love him to death, so I'm going to give him a little shout out. His name's Bobby. And every time we come in there, I come in there, you know, because I used to shop there all the time. He was like, hey, how's it going? How's, and he asked about my mom. He asked about my son. He asked about everything. He knows about my whole life because he remembers <laughs> shit. I mean, he's a freaking, he's amazing. Um <laughs> And he's always got something to say. He's always so fucking happy. It's disgusting sometimes. Oh, I did, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So keep in mind. Oh, I already said that. Um, So he agreed to go back to the boarding house. So Burke happened to be in one of the local taverns and saw the two people walk by. And he figured Jamie was headed, was like a lamb headed to slaughter. You know, because it was obvious anytime anybody went back to the house with them, one of them was getting... They were going to be killed. Exactly. So according to the reports, when Jamie was back at the house, Margaret went to the tavern to get Burke and bring him back. Once Burke arrived, he, Margaret, and Hare did their best to talk Jamie into drinking some whiskey. There's a shocker. Yeah. Although he accepted, he refused to drink more than a small amount. Smart kid. Yeah. He's not so daft after all. But this is the fact, though. Despite how little he had to drink, he was soon napping on one of Hare's spare beds, which I assume was because he was a homeless man, and sometimes you just want to lay in a fucking bed. Yeah, you just want to lay down and fucking get some sleep, yeah, man. cot would be fucking better than the fucking road. Yeah, no, I agree. So when Jamie was asleep, Burke and Hare tried to kill him by burking him. Um, however, Jamie didn't have as much to drink, and he was a whole lot stronger than he That's appeared right. to be. Want to know why? Want to know why? Super retard strength, man. <laughs> he, I was like, when you were saying that, I'm like, you motherfucker did it again. So he managed to fight back hard enough that he was able to get Burke pinned down. Yeah, man. Yeah. So when James was on top of him, Burke screamed for Hare to, go help, to come over and help him. It took some effort, but the two older men managed to work together to overpower this teenager. And once they had the upper hand, they smothered the kid to death. And after dark, oh, Knox man. paid them the standard $10 for the merchandise. That's jacked up. I had high hopes, seriously, for Daft Jamie. 
I thought you were going to say he oh, pulled off his super retard powers and he threw them through a window. Well, I actually found about, out about these guys because they are featured in an episode of Lore on Amazon Prime. Oh, I used to watch that. Yeah, there's two seasons now. And oh. I think it's in season two. I think it might be episode one or two. Oh, sweet. I'm going to talk about Baron Burke. Yeah, oh, Heron Burke. Shit. Yeah. So um, after Jamie's disappearance, everyone around Westport started to become suspicious. One reason why suspicions rose was that his mother continued to go around the neighborhood and ask whether anyone had seen her son. And yelling, Jamie, Jamie. That's what it was. And she didn't hear him go, Angus. No. Angus, where are you? (laughs) Not to mention when Knox uncovered the cadaver for his students, the vast majority of them knew exactly who he was. Um, Jamie had distinct facial features and everyone knew about his foot deformity. Knox did what he could to deny the corpse was that of Jamie. However, he spared no time. He spared no time on his lecture. Instead, he dove into his dissection demonstration, making sure to cut the body parts that were most distinguishable first. Jamie, that's fucked up, man. Yeah. So, you know, Knox was in on it, too, on some level. Yeah, here's my thing. Like up until Jamie... I was pretty well just kind of neutral on the thing. Like, okay, well, I was laughing people. up until that. Up until they broke the kids back, and up yeah. until they killed Daph Jamie. I will give. That I was one, laughing yeah. about it because I'm like, dude, it's all they do is ply people with whiskey, and they're dead. I was almost thinking, almost like Beavis and Butthead. I was laughing. In my yeah, head. no, it was pretty good. But uh, Daph Jamie, and then the breaking yeah. the kids back. That's that's some fucked up stuff. Yeah, there's a special place to help with these two assholes. Anyway, continue. No, I'm done. That's part one. All right. Remember, you can send us an email at Brutal Nation at Twisted. Blue LLC.com. Check out the website at Crystal Blue LLC.com. <clears throat> Take a peeky peeky peek at our Patreon page and stay tuned for contests coming up. Uh, let's see. Check us out on Patreon. Crime Beat that's on Patreon and wherever paperbacks are sold. I mean, wherever you get. <laughs> well, and don't forget, if you want to do your own podcast oh, but don't know that. how to get started, contact us at admin at Twisted Blue LLC. And we and pitch us your idea, and we can work with you. Yeah, we we can do and that. And you don't even have to live here in the Pacific Northwest. We, no. I mean, there's ways we can do it. Yeah, there, there's so. always a way. Dun dun dun! This show's copyright 2021 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights preserved. We will see you guys tomorrow. It's my day. 2022, tomorrow. bitch. Fuck my life. This show's copyright 2022 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights reserved, and we will catch you tomorrow. Bye bye. You gonna say bye? Bye. No, I was thinking about you and thinking we need to fucking tattoo two zero two two on your head. I hate you no, so you much. Don't put it on your fucking hand like a like a, a concentration camp tattoo. I knew you would come around to my way of thinking, Miss <laughs> Tommy. Well, only if I can do it to Scott. Are you going to help me lure the Jews into the uh, showers? Only Scott. So sad. <laughs> bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs>